I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon to you. We are live at Bregru Studios. This is The Call. 10 companies picked by you. Two expert guests over an hour. And it's the 16th of June. I'm Nadine Blaney. I will get right to it, introduce my guests of the hour. We have Henry Jennings from Marcus Today here with me in studio. Welcome, Henry. Hi. And via Skype, Andrew Veitland joining us from DP Wealth Advisory in Toowoomba. Andrew, top of the afternoon to you. I'll start with you. Just get a thought on this 7,400 level that we have surpassed here at 12 noon on this Wednesday afternoon. What do you make of it? Giddy up, is Nadine. That's what I make of it. Giddy up. Um, it's been a, a long time coming. Well, it's actually been brewing for a while, but uh, I mean, if you just look at where we were just over 15 months ago to where we are today, it is uh, astounding stuff, but not really surprising when you consider all the policy tools that were thrown at it to, uh, to get us to where we are, but certainly lots of uh, happy, smiling clients, lots of happy, smiling advisors. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? That's the question. Andrew, why? What are you saying? Are you thinking that perhaps this is as good as it gets, keeping in mind we've got the FOMC uh, that we'll be hearing from Chair Jay Powell tomorrow? Yeah, and that's certainly a, a, some short-term noise that's potentially coming at us. And if we use history as a guide, uh, that sort of, and I'm talking more internationally here, sort of that June through October period can be a bit sort of tricky for markets. So certainly that's something that I would be mindful of. Obviously, we're a bit concerned about what's potentially happening with inflation. But wearing my three to six month hat and uh, getting ready to put my foot in my mouth, I think it's probably looking okay. But certainly at low volatility, uh, everyone's saying things are looking okay. That should have everyone's amber lights flashing that uh, you could potentially have a misstep. But at the moment, things are looking right. Yeah, sure are when you look at the banks. I mean, CBA putting on another percent pretty much, CSL as well. Woolworths, West Farmers, aren't you tempted to take a bit of profit in these companies, these blue chips that are also hitting record highs? Um, I would be, but I've got to agree with Andrew. Giddy up is the, is the name of the game at the moment. It's, it's hard to see what's going to disrupt the bulls at the moment. They, they're pretty rampant. We've got lots of cash coming into the market, lots of stimulus still around the world, reopening trades everywhere uh, in terms of economies. Our economy is going pretty well. Interest rates are negligible. It's, it's really hard to see what could disrupt this. Of course, we have got the inflation spectre out there, but that seems to have dimmed slightly. Mm -hmm. And we have seen lumber prices and other prices of commodities 
coming off quite substantially from those recent highs. So um, even that has kind of taken a backseat. We've got 10-year bond rates back around sort of 1.48% yeah. here and in the US. So it, it looks pretty good. All right. Well, these guys have been around for a while, so we'll take their <laughs> word for it for now. And also to your point, Andrew, you know, economies reopening New York. California not even wearing masks anymore, energy prices up and doing particularly well on this Wednesday afternoon. Now, to uh, Henry's point about commodities, I've picked New Hope Corp as the stock of the day. And that's because just yesterday upgraded its full year earnings guidance. Thermal coal prices, perhaps a bit of a sleeper story this year, but they've been on a tear, hitting nine year highs on the back of strong demand and uh, ongoing supply constraints in Japan and China, I should say, including a blanket ban on Aussie coal. And we've been able to ship our coal to other geographies. So I thought I'd start with New Hope Coal because coal for many reasons is, I think uh, Martin Crabb, CIO of Sean Partners, Andrew put it this way, that it's a bit of a pariah uh, these days, but there's no denying the price fundamentals as well as potentially supply as we continue to see these new projects curtailed. Yeah, Nadine, you, you're spot on. And if we sort of, as you know, I've been banging on a fair bit, certainly this year in particular, around the whole ESG mindset of investors. And you only have to look at company announcements in slide two or three once you get through the lawyer's disclaimers. The next thing is around how sustainable we are and how amazing we are at ESG. And here's our ESG score. So that is certainly front of mind with uh, um, wholesale or institutional investors in particular, but certainly in retail land. I know from my own perspective, if I'm talking to younger clients, which is a low benchmark for me, um, then there is in fact huge interest in the ESG space. So it really is something that investors are, are mindful of. But you're right, Nadine, we have to be pragmatic about this too. We're not just, just going to flick a switch and suddenly all driving in electric vehicles and zero carbon emissions and then there is a glide path to get there and as a consequence there are opportunities in energy in particular we're seeing oil at around 70 dollars a barrel you've, you've identified coal as well and that uh, new hope charts looking spectacular so to me it, you, you have to be pragmatic about this or a barbell as, as one end of the barbell you've got your clean energy space and you can do that using etfs or hydrogen or whatever your clean energy uh, instrument of choices, but at the other end, there certainly are some unloved energy uh, names of which New Hope is one and bouncing accordingly. Okay, so would you be buying it now? When you oh, you're looking for an opinion. Is that what yes, we're doing here today? That, that's I, what I we're doing we're here. Welcome to now. the program, right. Andrew. Gotcha. I knew I was missing something. Uh, look, I think it's a buy, Nadine. Um, okay. If you're looking at the PE relative to forecast earnings rate, that announcement that they put out today, a 60% increase in that thermal coal price. Uh, production's looking pretty good. Um, so that peg ratio that we talk about a little bit, the difference between all the ratio to the PE to the forecast earnings growth, it's a peg of nearly two. So uh, chart's looking great. So uh, I think uh, get on it. And of course, you've got the Milner family in there uh, of Brickworks fame. The thicker the carpet, the thinner the dividend is their catch cry. So anything that the Milners are involved in, I'm interested in. So it's a buy. Yeah. So through Washington H. Sol Pats, I would dare to say that's why we're seeing the share price of, of SOL ticking higher today as well. So we've got a buy for New Hope Coal. That chart was going gangbusters. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So it, is this a giddy up? Um, I guess I'm going to have to agree with Andrew. I'm going to agree with Andrew on the giddy up. Let, let's start in a positive fashion, shall we? Um, the chart looks great. Um, the price looks great of thermal coal. The Chinese do seem to have 
shot themselves in, a, in the foot slightly uh, with the coal price. Uh, banning Australian coal has really kind of hurt them and increased that coal price. And as Andrew says, we can't just flick a switch and all go electric tomorrow. We can't go gas, hydrogen, etc. So th this one's going to continue. I guess there's other ways to play it as well. Maybe look at Yandel as well. Or YAL is another one to look at in the coal space. Yankol? Uh, uh, Yankol, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, of course, there's always going to Souls, which mm -hmm. has that big shareholding in New Hope as, as well as other shareholdings as well. So it's a little bit diluted, but it has lagged a little bit. So we could see a bit of catch up there. But certainly, I think at the moment, this is this and iron ore and oil seem to be the three commodities that are in vogue. Everything else has come under pressure. Chinese are talking copper down, nickel down, etc. Yeah. Uh, but these three seem to be standing out at the moment. And I think the momentum is strong. Yeah, and iron ore, I mean, that's been particularly resilient, yep. even through the overnight period. Can I just maybe squeeze something bonus out of you guys? So is, is Washington H sold Pats a buy? Um, it, al it always turns me off because it's a bit complicated. And they have got that big shareholding in, uh, I think it's Focus, isn't it? And so that does turn me off a little bit, but I think here it's a buy. They've got a great track record, and it's certainly one of the most favoured kind of listed investment companies, if you like. And you know, with that big holding in New Hope, I think at the moment it is a buy. All right, uh, Andrew, can I squeeze a view on uh, Washington H. Law Pats from you? If it was Koshy, I'd say no, but for you, Nadine, of course. Um, look, I, uh, I think it is a buy, but it's really important to note, and Henry touched on it, it's a complex beast and there's cross share holdings with Brickworks. So institutional land, it's all too hard. They just don't touch it. It's really a mum and dad favourite. So the underlying thematic is strong. The people running it are strong, but you're not going to get that institutional interest. It's just a longer term bubble away, bottom draw, trust the Milner family. Yeah, OK. And I think that it's just... Just to stand corrected, it's TPG Telecom that's yep. got that Sorry. big holding in. Yep. All right, so that is a buy from both of my guests for New Hope Call. Well, it's already in the portfolio, so it will remain there. It was at risk there. These guys didn't come along, but there you go. All right, let's get to the companies that have been nominated by you, our viewers, our listeners. Thank you so much for taking the time to email in. This is for Peter. I-G-O is the ticker code. So, uh, look, I was reading a note from Morgan Stanley. So we can talk about the underlying commodities, but Morgan Stanley also pointing out that dividend yields could continue to climb right through the next few years. And that is a real narrative when it comes to a lot of these commodity stories yep. as well. It is, it is. And we've certainly seen it with the leaders, the BHPs, the Rios and the Fortescues. I, I, um, IGO has done an extraordinary job, I guess, in, in pivoting from the old material world uh, copper, not to that much of an extent, but nickel, and selling that Tropicana stake into a battery material focused stock, which I guess is, is, is the future. Uh, of course, they did that uh, deal with green bushes as well. So that, that gives them some upside. The stocks run pretty hard. I've got to say, a lot of these battery material stocks, whether it's copper, lithium, um, have all run really, really hard. So I think there's a little bit of consolidation to come in this sector and a little bit of consolidation to come in IGO Independence Group, so, uh, or IGO Limited as it's now called. Uh, so I would just be a little bit careful at the moment. It's probably a hold, but I wouldn't be surprised to see more downside. The mood at the moment does seem to be into the more, um, the, the banks, industrials, and the more kind of left behind stocks. Uh, and we'll get onto some of those later, I think. So I, I think there's a little bit of downside to come in IGO. Not a buy from Not a Henry buy Jennings. just at the moment. Maybe if it came back to sort of, um, I don't know, below six, well, below seven bucks, 
650, something like that, it'd probably be looking a lot more interesting. Because for all, Andrew, that we talk about EV and lithium and battery technology, the actual price of lithium isn't spectacular and it doesn't look as if it's going to really necessarily do anything for you know the next well the, the short to medium term say say year yeah but coming back to how we sort of started the the show when we were talking about new hope and that sort of greenification if i can put it that way you know we've got the g7 and we're all sort of banging our chest saying uh, near zero net carbon emissions by 2050 uh, how are we going to have to get there? You know, part of it is around this sort of greenification trade and there's going to be a need for copper, there's going to be a need for nickel and, of course, lithium. So if you've got your longer-term hat on, look through any sort of short-term noise and uh, IGO certainly ticks that box. But I, I agree, again, with my learned friend that at, uh, even they're off a smidge today, but over $7, they're certainly looking pretty fully priced, considering that they're up... 58% for the year to give that some context the market's up 12 sorry the market's up 33 they're up 58 markets up 33 so they've nearly outperformed the market by a factor of two lithium's going to be about 31% of their revenue next year and to your point Nadine about that Morgan Stanley note that um, MS note was pointing out that you're looking at about a 6% dividend yield all other things remaining equal over the next two to three years, and they'll be sitting on about five, $600 million worth of cash. So that then opens the door for M&A that Henry was talking about. But on a P of 31 and forecast earnings of only about 23%, 23 times rather, um, yeah, look, 650 is the number, not where we are at the moment. But a green transformation stock for sure. Okay. Uh, so we have touched upon green and uh, the opposite so far. We'll keep the thematic going, so to speak, with Warley. W-O-R is the ticker code. This one is for Kevin. Hope you're watching or listening, Kevin. So one thing I noticed when Worley was out with its investor presentation was, well, one, it got a, a boost to its share price, but two, that, uh, well, it's green focus. Its ability to work in the renewable space was really front and center. Now, you know, traditional mining services, oil and gas services space, Andrew, but really seems to be one of those companies that's looking to transform as well. Do you like Worley? Uh, not at this price, but in the in the context of the thematic that you were just talking about, because 47% of their revenue comes from the oil and gas place. So if they don't adapt and they don't change and they're not paying attention to all those ASX announcements talking about sustainability, they're in a bit of trouble. So there's, I read the same presentation as I'm sure a few people did, and uh, it certainly was ticking all the, the, uh, the boxes relating to buzzwords and amazing graphics and so forth. But even if you sort of peel back the fluff, um, they're absolutely positioning themselves right because you look at there's a number of activist shareholders that are now getting onto these global energy company boards and forcing the Shells and the ConocoPhillips and the Totals of the world to bring forward their sustainability uh, and uh, sustainability path rather. And you need companies that are going to support them in that regard. They're not going to be able to do it internally. So certainly Worley absolutely ticks that box, but we've seen some pretty strong share performance in Worley's share price over the last uh, 12 months. And at this stage it's looking pretty fully priced. Consensus is 11.73. So we're sort of trading around those levels at the moment. I like the fact that the CEO has been increasing uh, their shareholding over the last 12 months, about 34% increase. And of course, John Grill, who uh, used to run the business, um, now has, has about $406 million worth. So, you know, one of Andrew's measures, how invested is management with you, the shareholder? They're absolutely in there. 
But at these levels, it is a hold. It certainly is looking fully priced. Okay. Now, we also have the fact that we're seeing this reopening happening in the economy, uh, infrastructure spend, uh, you know, demand for yep. commodities. So that could potentially lead to an increase in contracts for Worley Parsons. So through which prism do you rate the company? I guess, I mean, Worley has always been pretty tied to the oil price, really. It's been a, it's been a derivative, really, of that oil price because it is an oil and gas uh, service contractor. Well, that's what it was known mm-hmm. for. It's moved away from that. They've won, I think, around 40 hydrogen projects in the last 14 months. So they're, they're moving into new spaces and they're trying to shed that dependency on the oil and gas industry. Of course, that was really uh, paramount to them when the oil and gas price was, you know, Texas was at 35 mm-hmm. bucks a barrel. Now it's 72 bucks a barrel. The market, I don't think, has really caught up with that yet. And what was bad is now a positive Having said that, Andrew's right, I think it is a little bit of a hold at the moment. It has run a little bit and there are some risks going forward because it, it's, it's still got, you've still got to see the activity come back. They've still got to win contracts. And we've seen with mining services companies, it's hard work getting staff. They're having to pay up for the staff. There's margin pressures in there. So I, I think at the moment, it, for me, it's a hold. But um, if we saw the oil price at 80 bucks and we saw that increased activity start to come through, I think they could kick again. But at the moment, I think it is a hold. Okay. So that was number two on the list. Let's get to number three. This is for Nikki and this is MCOR, AMC. So this is a company that has uh, really benefited through this pandemic period. It came out with this pretty solid third quarter 2021 result. Um, so it seems as if Henry, it's in you know in the driver's seat when it comes to uh, you know consumer packaging and 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 it's got that global exposure. Yep, I, I think the, you know the acquisition of Bemis is is clearly uh, a company maker if you like so much so that they're now uh, really it's a PLC company and it, it's 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 really focused on on a global scale rather than just Australia. Amcor for me is one of those kind of it's one of those forgotten stocks. It's a bit like brambles. Everyone gets excited about the banks and insurers and the Macquaries and the CSLs. And then there's all this kind of broad range of industrials that we never really talk about, the Amcors, the brambles. I think this one looks interesting. The problem, I guess, is that we are seeing price rises for raw materials. Now, at the moment, the company says they're handling those price rises well. And as you know, they have to make stuff out of um, raw materials into mm-hmm. packaging. That obviously is a big input. So it, it's... There is that confidence from the company, I think, at the moment, but I'm not sure I'm going to get too bullish just yet. I think at the moment it's 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 a hold. Uh, there could be some more upside to come, but we're still yet to see, I guess, the full benefits of that acquisition of Bemis. And I think there is some concern in the market that raw material pricing will affect things. And we've also seen that people are, are kind of stopping buying stuff to some extent. Uh, we saw it with the US in the last few days with retail sales starting to come off and services in, improving. So we're switching from buying stuff during the pandemic and boxes being shipped around the place to actually buying services. And I think that that may put a little bit of a headwind in Amcor at the moment. But certainly quality stock, the, the acquisition looks if it's going well, but those raw materials and the, maybe the change in consumer habits slightly. And of course, there's all the whole ESG and the whole... Um, you know, renewable side of Amcor as well that you've got to be concerned about too. So lots in that, Andrew. Uh, do you like An- um, Henry's assessment of it as a quality company? Uh, do you take dividends into consideration when you're thinking about Amcor as an investment opportunity? 
Do I like Henry? Not particularly, but I didn't think we were talking about that today. <laughs> um, no, look, uh, Amcor is a solid business. It's a defensive business. So if the world was starting to go a little bit silly, then that's certainly one that you would probably bring forward uh, into your portfolio because of its defensive nature. Uh, look, the dividends are okay. It's what we're in four percent, something like that. So uh, I like the fact it's sort of global uh, reach, Nadine. It's got 30, operating in thirty-nine countries, um, and the underlying financials are pretty solid. I mean, a seventeen percent ROE. That's sort of Wes Farmers esque, seven uh, percent margin, and that EPS growth is looking pretty attractive for next year as well. It's about twenty-nine. Uh, percent relative to a P of around 15 times. So certainly financially, it ticks all the boxes. All the reasons that Henry just mentioned before. The other one I'd just like to throw in there is that Aussie dollar. Uh, if the Aussie dollar does continue to sort of march into the 80s and beyond, then that's certainly going to hurt them as well. Uh, it's a hold at these levels around consensus is 1662. So there's certainly not a lot of value. It's solid, uh, but it's one that you would want in your portfolio along with, say, like healthcare as an example, if we start getting the jitters because it is a blue chip solid, but it's not a buy at these levels. Not a buy, not going in the portfolio. Let's see if we can get one in in Elders, which is number four on the list. And this one is for James. Uh, we have talked much on this program about uh, how agriculture in Australia really is in a bit of a Goldilocks period. I mean, we've talked about inflation. We're seeing that in soft commodities as well. Uh, we've had a mouse plague in parts of New South Wales and Queensland. <laughs> but apart from that, you know, the crops have been very, very good. But, Andrew, is the fact that we're in the Goldilocks period a signal to you that it's already too late to buy elders? Yeah, so of course I'm coming to you from Toowoomba, God's country, uh, and part of that is the agricultural play, uh, piece that we have around here, Toowoomba being a, a service centre for ag. So that's really something that we see uh, all day, every day here. Um, so I guess probably a unique insight relative to sort of other sectors of the economy. And you're right, Nadine, um, it's been pretty good, but you have to bear in mind it's been pretty ordinary for the last three or four years as well. So my farming clients have got to catch a break occasionally. Elders are doing uh, an amazing job. Pretty much all parts of their businesses are firing apart from their um, meat processing business. That's about the one part that isn't firing. Everything else is kicking along. Uh, even financial services is doing all right. I guess the key thing I'm looking at is from, again, from a financial point of view, strong return on equity, 20% plus, they're paying down debt, which is attractive. But, you know, I just think, it, you know, 4% earnings per share growth forecast for next year, trading on 13 times earnings, which isn't demanding, but you know, 4% earnings growth isn't really exciting. You got the CEO reducing their holding. And again, you know, I sort of look and think, well, why are you doing that? And there's lots of good reasons they're doing it. But if you thought, you know, the share price was on a tear, would you necessarily be selling some of your shares? And the shares are up 29% for the year, Nadine. I mean, that's not too bad. And in fact, if you go back over the last five years, they've put on about 30% per annum. So they've done incredibly well. Consensus is around 13 bucks. We're at the moment about 11.50. So sorry, not a buy from me. It is a hold. But compared to the elders of old, the elders of old was not in a happy little place at all. Management team have done a great job, but that cyclical nature of ag, a lot of the upside's already built in. It's a hold. Yeah, and we're in it to make money, right? Uh, not necessarily endorse what's happened 
as of now because that's it, isn't it, Henry? Like it's a cyclical business. Yep. So well done to management. They've made some acquisitions. It's done well. Yeah. Um, but for growth from here, would you put your money in elders now? Yes. Okay. Um, I like elders and I guess, I mean, agriculture is a cyclical business. Anybody who's watched Clarkson's Farm, which I would highly recommend, gives you a, an insight into... I have no idea what you're talking about right Jeremy now. Jeremy Clarkson has a farm okay. in the Cotswolds <laughs> and he farmed it for a year for a thousand acres and he made 144 pounds in profit yeah, on his right. crops. Yeah. It is a fickle business. It is a very up and down business and you know it it's, gives you a great insight. Elders though, is kind of the, the safer way to play the agricultural market because they supply stuff to farmers. Uh, when farmers do well, they buy a lot. Even at the moment with the mouse plague, obviously there, there's, there's an opportunity there in, to some extent. But I think you know we've just signed a free trade agreement with the UK. We're gonna be shipping more beef. We're gonna be shipping more lamb. The rural sector at the moment is going well. They survived the COVID lockdowns very well because they were already isolated. They didn't have the problems that the inner cities and the cities had. And there's people moving to the regions and as well. And there's people moving to the regions. I like this one. They've got a new CFO who happens to be a friend of mine uh, and she's a very capable lady. Thanks for the disclosure. Uh, yes, that is the disclosure. And I think, you know, they're on the right track. These guys, they're, they're, they're doing very well. And I don't think the market has given them enough recognition just at the moment. It has had a bit of a pop from its low levels, but uh, I think there's more to come. And I think the agricultural sector has been a big success story recently and, and it shows no sign of abating. Well, Elder share price is up by 2.5% today. You think that might have something to do with that FTA? Cause uh, I think it probably does, yeah. I mean, it would help uh, Australian agriculture as well, AAC. Uh, it, just, it, you know, it just helps the whole sector. And it's very hard to get agri-exposure, apart from the new farms, which is the fertilizer, which is pesticides, or you go fertilizer with uh, the oricas and the uh, Incitec pivots. But this one just covers, it's such a diversified business, well-run, good management, and I think this is a buy. Okay, so that's a disagreement between uh, these guys here. Uh, don't want to start anything, but there you go. IAG <laughs> is in the news today. This is uh, number five. This is for Damien. Uh, so it looks as if uh, what normally happens to insurers, uh, it happened again. You know, obviously we've got IAG, IAG saying it's on the hook to pay between $720, $743 million in claims following those violent storms in Victoria last week. So the financial year ending. June 30, and that is uh, what it's up for in relation to those Victorian storms. Uh, IAG, what's your view? Uh, Andrew? Yeah, so if I can continue my ESG uh, thread, because, you know, you can't get enough ESG in, in, in a version of the call. Uh, I, I don't like insurers, generally speaking, for a few reasons, but ESG being one of it. So what I mean by that, and what you've just spoke about is a classic example. Uh, climate change is afoot, whether we're causing it, you know, a, a moth flapping its wings in Africa as the moon's transitioning, whatever's causing it, there's stuff afoot. And insurers, in my view, are not pricing that risk accordingly. Uh, in the case of the example you just gave, IAG would have reinsurance risk, so one of those super cat insurers, your Berkshire Hathaways, etc., would be bearing a fair bit of that burden. But insurers don't make money on insurance captain obvious statement they actually make it on investment returns and in an environment where investment returns have been pretty benign in that fixed interest space in that sort of bond space it puts them on the back foot to begin with then you've got the fact that they are in fact 
in a world where, in my view, they're not pricing risk accordingly. Uh, IAG, I mean, you look at the chart, the chart tells, sort of tells you the world of pain that they're in. But, I mean, if they can get through sort of 550, they might be technically a buy, but their return on equity is pretty underwhelming at 5%. I mean, why wouldn't you buy Ostock Brokers, AUB? Now, again, not a like-for-like -like comparison, uh, but AUB's got a margin of, uh, sorry, a return on equity rather of 12% and a profit margin of 20%. So I, I just have no interest in this at all. I'm sorry. It's, no it's certainly interest. not a sell, but it's... I'm but out. why is it not a sell if you've got no interest in it? If somebody's holding it, do you not feel mm -hmm. that they could potentially... I'd do better elsewhere. Oh, 850 would have been the sell. Um, <laughs> five, 550 or wherever it is at the moment, it's a hold. But Nadine, it's sort but, of... But in holding with... in anticipation that it, it's going to go down further, or you think that there could be a catalyst that might push that price up? I note that Macquarie today saying that it uh, could potentially turn to M&A, potentially for Commonsure, as Commonwealth Bank offloads its insurance arm. And Macquarie saying that, look, it could be a sensible defensive move, although the deliveries of any synergies could be challenging. I'm just questioning because sometimes we get um, emails from our viewers when you guys put out holds and they say, well, well hold for what? You know, hold for what? If you're going to hold it, you must think that the share price is going to go up. Well, either that or, you know, the dividend's okay. I mean, we could have a whole, and I'm not going to take us there too far, but you could have a whole investment philosophy around, am I tactical and I'm just trying to play the next market move? Or in fact, am I saying I just can't beat markets and I'm just going to sort of hold a broad range of shares in there because markets do what markets do. The reason I'm saying it's a hold is technically it's on a pretty important level because if it can sort of hold here, it could push higher. But as a long, if, like if you're pushing me as a, as a buy-sell, Mm -hmm. It's a sell because the industry has got significant headwinds, which is a real issue for the broader economy, but it's not a buy. Mm -hmm. okay. It's definitely not a buy. Henry, buy, <laughs> hold or sell? It comes down to the whole hold thing, doesn't yeah. it? Um, <laughs> I was going to say hold and said you had to go at Andrew about oh, it. Oh, no, I didn't so, have a go. So I'm clarifying gonna, gonna, on behalf of my viewers, let's I'm be fair. I know, your viewers are absolutely correct. What are you waiting for? And at the end of the day, what are you waiting for with the IG? It has been a perennial underperformer. Uh, everyone got quite excited years ago. I think it was 2015 when Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway bought in. I think they've still got 3.7, 3.8% of the stock. And there was all this excitement uh, which has since dissipated. With IAG, there's also, um, apart from all the catastrophes, which they do have reinsurance yeah. for. So it, it's gonna, I think their biggest hit is like 50 million bucks um, from that. And if it goes even higher, then it, it kicks in again. So we'll wait and see how that. But I think there's one thing that, st that sticks little bit is the green sills thing which is overhanging them and they've said they've had got no exposure to it but there's it's a very complicated business green sills and its exposure throughout the sort of the insurance food chain if you like so that that for me just turns me off that one QBE though which has been a perennial disappointment stock they've nailed the market in disappointment serial offender um, they've been on a really good spurt and I guess if you think interest rates are going up which they are, they will do at some mm -hmm. stage, then QBE is one way to semi-hedge that because they do well when they get higher rates because as Andrew says, that net interest return that they get on their investments is very important. The other thing that they're doing as well is they're putting up premiums. And although catastrophes are bad for insurance companies, floods, etc., wild mm -hmm. weather, because they, get, they take that hit, it then gives them an excuse to raise premiums. And it also means that everyone gets a bit scared 
and they go, oh, I, my house is underinsured, I may need to, what happens if it floods? So there is that effect as well. So they do tend to do quite well long-term. And I think QBE, we're starting to see that. But they've got a new CEO starting in September and Andrew Horton, I think his name is. And I think it's, I think that's the one to be on. Be on that jockey, IAG, I think is just stuck in the slow lane. If you were interested in the insurance sector, and it should follow the banking sector to some extent. So if you're interested in that sector and to, to ride the coattails of the bank sector, then I think QBE is the way to play it. Okay. Thanks for that, gents. We are at the halfway mark, believe it or not. And uh, I'll take you through the companies that we've talked about so far and what the consensus or not is, just in terms of a buy, hold, or sell. Our stock of the day was New Hope Coal. It's already in the portfolio and it will remain there. It's a buy from both of my guests. Uh, look, it's, it's on price for the commodity and uh, the period of the cycle that we're in. And both of them point to the fact that uh, Washington H. Soul Pats owns a big chunk of it and they also uh, like that company, generally speaking, as well. Although warn that it's a bit complicated and has other exposures you need to be aware of. So IGO, uh, it's a hold for Henry. He says it's done an extraordinary pivot into this battery technology. So it's very much a battery focused stock now, but it's fully priced. It's run hard, expects a period of consolidation. Anything over $7 for Andrew is fully priced for this company. Keep in mind, it's up 58% on year. So that's a hold. It's not a buy from either of the guys. Worley Parsons is a hold. Again, strong share price performance, Andrew points out. He likes that the CEO is increasing his shareholding, but again, fully priced. So wouldn't be buying more at this stage. Same thing with Henry. Uh, look, he says it still needs to get contract wins. I mean, this is not a risk-free proposition by any stretch, especially when you consider margin pressures as well, but it has been doing uh, quite well. It's a hold for him. MCOR is a hold. It is a quality company for Henry. He is a little bit concerned about potential inflation in input costs, um, but does think that it's done a really good job with that Bemis acquisition. It's actually a company maker potentially in terms of an acquisition. Andrew says, look, there's just not a lot of value left in the company at this time. It's a hold. If you own it, it's a potential buy if things start to go poorly. If the wheels start coming off, this is a solid business and it's defensive, but there's no need to be buying in today. Well, today we got a buy for elders from Henry. He says that uh, it's not getting enough credit for doing the best job in what is a cyclical and complicated market, but he says that this is a very safe way to play the agriculture thematic. It has many different facets to the business and it could benefit from that FTA that looks to be signed with Britain. Um, Andrew, you know, lives and breathes this. He's up in God's country, as he says, in Toowoomba, but 4% earnings growth is just not exciting for him. Uh, and he notes that it is up 29%. The share price is up 29% for the year. So he doubts that it's got too much left to run. And that brings us to IAG. Andrew took issue with me, but he is keeping it as a hold. And that's on a technical basis. If you look at the price action, it could have another kick up from here. But think long term, think climate change, think low return on equity. Henry says if you're going to be in the insurers, QBE is the way to do this because it will benefit most when interest rates do start to rise. And uh, from disaster, it looks as if it's, uh, I guess, got its uh, house back in order. And I'm calling that a sell from Henry because he said, really, if you're in it, what are you waiting for? Uh, there are better places to put your money.
Okay, so that is a summary of what we've got across our desks today. Let's get you across our portfolio here that we've been tracking on the call since July 1st of last year. NabTrade is our partner for this, and thanks to NabTrade. So you know the rules, all the companies that get two thumbs up or a buy from both of our experts we've been putting into the portfolio. We also take them out, by the way, when, uh, when we've got one in and uh, we get a sell from our guests. So over the week, we're up by close to 2% month, up over 7.5% or just round about there. And July to date, up 35.8%, so not too shabby. Some of the companies that we've added lately Feel free to weigh in, guys, if you've got any strong view. But medical developments, I was on with uh, Rudy and Claude when that happened. Jenison Education is one that seems to have been doing really well from not only the shift to online learning, but just a uh, you know, real dominant position in terms of NAPLAN and some of the international tests that get taken on as well. Unity Group, but in the internet services space, infrastructure space, I'll call it. A2 Milk, that sometimes raises a couple of eyebrows. And there's New Hope Corporation, which got to stay in courtesy of my guests in studio, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today, and Andrew Veitland from DP Wealth Advisory. Uh, just a promo, so I had a chat with Ross Gerber. He is founder of Gerber Kawasaki, and he joined us from Cali, where they're opening up. Tip, he talks about Las Vegas. He's very well known for his position in Tesla, but he tells us where else he's looking uh, that he thinks is really hot. So we'll play that out for you at 3.45. Looking forward to that one. All right, let's get back to it, shall we? Andrew, you ready? I'm going to start with you. That's your heads up. The next company on the list is from Simon. It's for the L1 Long Short Fund. So LSF is the ticker code if people are not familiar with it, which wouldn't be a big surprise because we don't have a lot of these listed long short vehicles in Australia. So maybe Andrew, you could give us a little bit of an introduction for those not in the know, and, uh, and you can augment that with your view. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a very short view, Nadine, simply because hopefully by now I'm sort of recognized as someone who knows a couple of things about exchange traded funds, ETFs, but the person to your right, I think, uh, is a expert in listed investment companies, and in particular those that have been beaten up, and has absolutely nailed, nailed, calling the turning point in this and getting people to look at LSA. Okay, so I will interrupt you there, Andrew, and I will pass it over to my right because I thought I knew this man very well, but apparently I've missed something. You have. Okay. You have. Go. Um, these these LICs, I called them hot tub time machines back in. Uh, the March-April madness, and Andrew's right, we've done really well out of this. Long short fund for us was one of our key picks in the small cap space. We're up around 130% on it since we bought it around a dollar, dollar six. Uh, so it's been, it's been fantastic for us. And why they're hot tub time machines and why I liked this one in particular. Good chart. <laughs> good chart. It's a great chart. Um, why I like this one in particular is they're very transparent with their communication with shareholders. They tell everybody every day what their NTA is. Now, when we saw that extreme volatility in March and April, and we saw the market springing ahead, you looked at stocks, though, I can't pay that, I can't pay that today. But then you looked at an LIC like LSF, which was trading at a 30, 35% discount to the assets it was reporting every day. You go, well, that's a hot tub time machine. We can buy the stuff that we should have bought yesterday at a 30% discount. So this, this was really good for me. I, I really enjoyed this stock. Um, it's a long short fund, and we don't have many in Australia. Hedge funds 
are supposed to, that's what they do, they're, mm -hmm. they're a long short fund. Uh, this is kind of like a quasi hedge fund run by a guy called Mark Landau, who I actually did a podcast with last night and interviewed him oh. for 35 minutes. And an absolute lovely chap, and they've done an absolute cracker job with this fund. Not only have they closed up the discount to around 9% now to the NTA, which is increasing, mm -hmm. uh, but they've also, uh, the directors have been buying and they've put in a, uh, a buyback as well, which has helped that discount. And they've just done a really, really good job. And they've, they've pivoted really well from tech and growth to value. They were way ahead of anybody else. And they really have been riding that train higher. So they're a really clever fund manager. They also did what I liked talking to Mark last night. They did a huge amount of research on vaccines. They spoke to vaccine experts from around the world and tried to get a handle on what the likely outcome was of you know, looking back to those dark days when we were all saying vaccines are going to take five years, you know, there's never mm -hmm. been a vaccine, it's taken a year, etc. And they spoke to the experts and went, this is going to happen quicker than we thought, and we're going to go all in. And they did, they nailed it. The fund is up 70 odd percent uh, in the last year. It's, it's just been an extraordinary. So is there still upside buying today? Yes. Mm -hmm. oh, these guys are smart. You know, they're, they're very smart. They're ahead of the curve in terms of where they pivoted their portfolio. Uh, it's still trading at a 9% discount, so you're still buying a dollar for 90 odd cents, mm -hmm. 91 cents, which is good in my book. Uh, clearly, the, the big hot tub time machine effect has, has, has dissipated, but this is, a, this is a quality stock with quality managers, uh, and they, they've nailed it a couple of times, and there's no reason to say they won't in the future. I, I really like this yeah. stock. Okay, great endorsement, and a lot of these LICs are still trading below. They're NTAs. Yeah. I think we need to do a show on LICs at some point in time. Uh, we'll leave it there, though, for the sake of time on this program. Andrew, I mean, if it's not Henry's the expert, do, do you agree? Do you disagree? Is that a buy today? It is a buy, I guess. And obviously, you know, to the, to the master LIC expert, so I'm certainly not going to contradict what he's saying. Just a couple of other things for context. Listed in 2017, dreadful, dreadful start. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful start and have done an amazing job in turning it around. As you can see there on the chart, it was not a happy little outcome at all. Your $2 fell to what, Henry, 80 cents, something like that. Uh, but they've done uh, an amazing job in turning that around. Uh, and to the point around management buying stock, uh, the two joint CIOs have been buying between, have added to their holdings somewhere between 93 and 108% over the last 12 months. So even though that share price has been going up, they have been buying themselves along the way. So they are invested with you. Uh, it's a buy. Okay, great. So let's go on to RPM Global. Stefan, R-U-L. Uh, look, it's, um, it's had a good run. I suppose the question is, will it continue to do so? Andrew? It has had a good run. Uh, we looked at this one uh, a little while ago now. And, uh, you know, it was sort of at the stage, it was very small. In fact, to the point where only around $32,000 worth of shares a day traded. So it was very small. Since we've last looked at it, it's now up to $65,000 a day. So it's still very small, but it's starting to come more on, on the radar of investors. Uh, they did a placement back in February at 19 cents. You wouldn't be sort of uh, too unhappy today uh, in that case. Um, CEO still owns 33% of the company. Um, I like it, but I guess you've just got to be careful that, you know, some of the things we were talking about before relating to what we were seeing with um, issues around supply chains and cost of manufacturing and, and so forth. But yeah, don't mind it at all. 
What do you think, Henry? Um, this, I, I've liked this one for a while. This was this is a mining software company, basically. Yep. So they don't have the same constraints in terms of personnel and getting people on the ground. This, this is a mm -hmm. software platform that miners use. They've done an acquisition today, which looks to be... Oh, I didn't see that today. Good. Yeah, no, interesting. They, they bought a company called uh, Nitro Solutions, and they're also setting up an ESG uh, division in Australia, which is good. So these guys are mining services. They don't have the same issues with... with staffing and, and margin pressures there and what they have done is they've transitioned and this is a, this is an awkward transition as shareholders of newix are, are feeling at the moment it's mm -hmm. an awkward transition for when you go from the old model remember when we used to buy the microsoft license to use the product and then we went to the SaaS model where you're paying nine ten bucks a month or whatever mm -hmm. now that creates a bit of a, a hole as you transition those licenses to the SaaS, the monthly payment model same happened with rpm they had this licensing model, transitioned to a SaaS model, mm -hmm. fell in a bit of a hole, a lot of people got fed up with it, and now they're coming out the other side and they're getting the traction because the products are good and the people who bought the licenses are now going, you know what, okay, we'll just pay the 10 bucks a month or, or whatever it mm -hmm. is that they're paying. Uh, and that's really turbocharged the share price. And you see that recurring subscription revenue. I mean, that's where they need to grow, right? It's yep. always about this ARR. ARR, exactly. Okay. So. okay, so that's a buy? Yeah. Okay, it, was that a buy from you, Andrew? It is a buy. It's going in Ooh. the portfolio. You guys doing your bit for the Osbiz portfolio. We hope, we hope. We okay, hope. let's get to Whisper, WSP for Roth. Again, another one of those companies where ARR is, uh, is the big metric, but uh, it certainly seems as if it's been doing quite well. And it's looking to get into the US market, Henry. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's been a, a bit of a, you know, really sort of, um, visible company through this COVID period. What do you think? Well, it's got a good name. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, they've just held a, a big investor day. And I know that my, uh, my mate at Shaw, uh, Jonathan Higgins, was, was very impressed with the investor day. Big depth of management there, pushing obviously into the US. It has suffered a little bit, I guess, because it's a tech stock and tech stocks mm -hmm. have well and truly gone off the boil at the moment. And we're seeing that with some of the high flying tech stocks. And I think this one's suffering because of it. I wouldn't be buying it just yet because I don't think that uh, that kind of has washed through completely. And I think we've still got a little bit more washing to do. But certainly this one does look quite interesting, maybe around the sort of 240 level, which has been the recent low would be a good place to have a little look at this one. But um, yes, it's, it's not doing too bad. I know that uh, the Shore boys have got a price target of $5.20 on it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you know, they're, they're very bullish on this one, but these things do take time and they do take time to get traction. But I think when you look at that presentation, that investor day, it was very, there was a lot of depth there, not only in, in, in management, but in the businesses they run. So I think it's got good potential, but I think that that tech wash at the moment is just going to hold it back a little bit. And, and you know, it's very plausible that you could see a pullback um, in, in the next couple of months, taking us right back to where this conversation oh, oh, started. What, a pullback? Yeah, yeah. Well, when when are we going to get one of those? Well, I mean, slight in tech, potentially. Yeah. Andrew, uh, Whisper, I think, uh, you know, to, to Henry's point, at least what you can say about Whisper is that it was a tech name that has debuted relatively recently and didn't fall in a heap if you think about Nuix and some of the others. Yeah, and it's a quality business. I mean, you've got clients, I mean, they've got clients all over, all over the world, but, you know, names that might resonate with the Ausbiz audience, uh, AGL, Foxtel, Telstra. Uh, it, this is a, a quality business. Um, IPO'd at $1.60, so it's held up even with that recent weakness. The chart looks a little ordinary. 
So I, I would certainly just be cautious at the moment that it is building that recurring income base. There we go again. Uh, and you've got the fact that you've got the CEO who also owns 10% of the business, which again, I, I like the fact that management is involved. Consensus is probably a little aspirational at, uh, at $5. But uh, look, I, I don't mind this one at all. But I, I, as I said, uh, the chart looks a bit ordinary. And to Henry's point relating to potential weakness in tech on any drawdown, it would be a buy, but it's not a buy at these levels. All right, but it's not a sell. I'll take it like that. Definitely it will remain in the Ausbiz portfolio. There you go. So it's a hold from both of our guys. All right, we are pretty much on time. Let's go to AVA Risk Group, AVA. So. Raj, this is for you. He's got a little bit of detail in here saying it's has the share price bottomed. Is there value in it? He bought a small portion late last year at around 60 cents. Now, it was added to the call portfolio late last year by two experts, one of which is with us today, and then also endorsed, I guess, by some other experts that we have had on the show. So wanted to check in on the investment thesis. Andrew, Ava, AVA. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, so we looked at this on the 15th of September and at that stage the share price was 30 cents and uh, I think it was Michael Gable and I both said gee this looks interesting albeit you know it's a little bit speculative because at that stage the market cap I think was something like 50 or 60 million. Um, so share price went up to about 70 odd cents as you can see there and then sort of came out with some news relating to COVID uh, travel restrictions. They've got a big contract in India uh, with the Ministry of Defence there. And so they haven't been able to completely fulfilling that. So as a consequence, that's weighing down on the business uh, movement in the Aussie dollars, also hurting their business as well. And that's why the share price has sort of fallen away. You've also got a major shareholder who's decided now is an appropriate time to be selling right down too. So they've got a few sort of uh, headwinds that they've been facing. The underlying business still looks pretty sound. And whilst all this noise has been going on, they've built that cash from 8 million up to 12 million. So uh, business is still going all right. They've got a number of quality uh, clients, strong return on equity, uh, about a 54% ROE, 72% earnings growth, no debt. So I still think it looks all right, but you know, to, to Raj's point, it is certainly speculative. I wouldn't be sort of going out there and putting the family inheritance on this, but uh, the, I think the turning point for it would be around the, uh, the, the lifting of travel restrictions mm -hmm. uh, in, with India in particular. So it's, it's probably not a buy yet, simply because we're waiting for some news on that, but it's definitely not a sell. It's a hold, uh, Henry. <laughs> what do you think about Ava Group? And I will make a note that it, it's not in the portfolio currently. It has already been taken out. So uh, as always, honest opinion, <laughs> please. No, buy, hold, sell for Ava Group. Um, if you didn't have it, no reason to have it. If you had it, you'd probably hold it. As Andrew says, there is some potential upside as we come out of COVID. These guys do security of assets, whether it's um, you know the whole office block or your yeah. your fiber optics that go into that. That these guys do government and military contracts. And the poops when yeah. you do you know you walk into a building and yeah. it goes poop whatever and the, all the security that's that's their business that's their bread and butter. What does it, it do? Poop. <laughs> and, and I guess it rode the cyber security wave to some extent, the Tessa rents, the White Hawks, those stocks, which went nuts. Mm -hmm. um, but it has been doing this, and I think it's going to continue to do that a little bit. I think it's this, this tech headwind is taking yeah. its toll, you know, and the valuations that we saw, which got probably a little bit too ridiculous, will probably swing 
The market likes to swing the other way, so we'll probably get momentum swinging so they look ridiculously cheap at some stage. But I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew's 30 cents was another target for that stock because that's where they were in September. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it back. It's not far off it now, 39 yeah. cents. So it's a couple of bad days and you're down at 30 cents. Okay, so final company on the list. We'll have to make it a bit snappy, guys. But I, I already know what you're going to say about this one, Henry, I do believe. CBR, Carbon Revolution. For Scott, how well do I know you? Is this still a buy? You know me too well. <laughs> um, I think it is. These guys uh, make wheels for high-end vehicles, but they're also, they make very light wheels. And that's playing into the whole electric vehicle issue. Yeah. They did raise capital at $1.60, which is obviously weighed on them. Plus, one of their big customers uh, is not making cars at the moment. They will resume at the end of June. So that's 1,800 wheels that they won't be making this year. It is a timing issue rather than a loss of contract issue. So do you think, considering the chart that we have on screen right now, yep. that now you know is a buy? So you see a, a catalyst in the near term? Yes. Okay. Andrew? Buy, hold, sell, carbon revolution. Hold. Hold. Okay. Hold. I, yeah. Just, You're not I, as keen. I, I look at, sorry, Henry. I just look at the fact that the retail um, part of the offer uh, wasn't well supported. So the underwriters are holding a heap of stock at $1.60. And any chance it sort of gets remotely near that they're just going to bash it out, they're going to sell it. So that's going to have some short-term pressure on there. Certainly that June restarting of the, uh, the major customer will be a, a positive catalyst for it. But I'd just like to see some of that uh, underwriting stock wash through. So great business, but just the, the financials don't support it at the moment. So it's a hold. It's definitely not a sell because consensus yeah. is 264, but it's a hold. Okay, great. Guys, we have arrived at the end of the show. Very quick wrap up from me, if anyone's interested. L1 Long Short Fund, LSF, bye-bye from both of my guests. Henry can't speak highly enough <laughs> of it. And I guess keep your ear out for a podcast. What is it called? On the Couch? On the Couch. Yeah, okay. Uh, that'll be interesting. I'll be listening. RPM Global, it is also a buy from both of our guests. So that's going into the portfolio. Like it. Uh, Andrew says, just be careful of supply chains. But uh, Henry talks about the product improvement being a real positive. Whisper. Uh, so tech stocks coming off the boil. Henry's not buying just yet. Look at 240. Watch for it to go to that, which it could if we continue to see some of these headwinds for tech. Uh, but again, speaks highly of the business. And uh, so does Andrew from DP Wealth Advisory. He says that it's a quality business. Uh, you know, really, it's that annual recurring revenue. You want to watch that one. It's a hold at this stage of the game. Hold for Ava Risk Group. Andrew stands behind his thesis. It is suffering some headwinds right now. Watch that 30 cent mark, but he does see that uh, when we get borders open again with India, when uh, if the Australian dollar and the currency rate changes, some of those headwinds will be removed. Uh, it's a hold for Henry, he says there's just no reason to hold it just yet. Watch that 30 cent mark again. Carbon Revolution, it is a buy from Henry Jennings. He's long liked this one. He sees it as a play on the EV thematic light high end wheels for cars, and he sees a near term catalyst. It is a buy. It's a hold for Andrew Veitlin. He says, look, he, he got scared off a little bit because the retail part of the cap raise was not very well supported. So wait for that to wash through. Well, now I get to thank my guests. Andrew Veitlin joining us from DP Wealth Advisory. Thank you so much for your insights and uh, a bit of the humor as well. Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Always a pleasure to have you in. Thank pleasure. you as well. Thanks, 
Now that's it for our show today. If you'd like to email us your pick, it's the call at ausbiz.com.au. And a reminder that you can find that portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Don't go anywhere now though, because we've got CEO of Doe, Andy Taylor, in the next hour, 1.10 p.m. We'll find out what's up at Doe next. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.